One of Valerie and I's favorite shows is called Finding Your Roots. Are you familiar with it? Uh, in the show, uh, the show's host is Henry Louis Gates Jr. And Finding Your Roots is a documentary television series wherein each episode celebrates uh, celebrities, excuse me, are presented with a book of life. Uh, that book of life contains the compiled information researched by professional genealogists who use written and DNA records to discover the family history of some of America's uh, most famous uh, people. Uh, that book of life that is given to them is a family tree that allows the celebrities to view their ancestral histories, learn about familial connections, and discover secrets about their lineage. Well, if you haven't had a chance to get to know my wife, Valerie, <laughs> I will tell you uh, just a little bit about her. I didn't warn you, so sorry, Val. I'll ask for forgiveness later. Valerie loves her family, she loves babies, and she loves her job. And honestly, if you get her started about talking any one of those things, you could be talking for just a little while. But one little less known fact about Valerie is that she has a passion and a love for looking into genealogies. And as a matter of fact, she's spent quite a bit of time on both hers and, and my sides of the family digging back, and it's been quite fun uh, to learn those genealogies. There is something exciting, is there not, about looking into the lost secrets of our family trees. And uh, if you have ever spent time digging into yours, you will know just how quickly uh, the size of that tree, right, it gets so big, so fast, right, giving evidence to just how large the family tree of human history really is. Can you imagine if we could see that entire thing? As large as the family tree of human history is, if one had endless resources and time, we would find that that tree, as it works its way towards the, uh, from the branches and the leaves and the twigs and down uh, to, the, to the trunk and then to the roots, and, gets, and it gets smaller and smaller. As a matter of fact, DNA tests have identified that all humans, imagine this, came from one human couple. And some scientists even humble themselves enough to admit that, and some of them even say, in a fun way, they were probably called Adam and Eve. In effect, if we could imagine a gigantic family tree with all its branches and root systems, we would find at the very bottom the tiniest little speck at the end of the taproot, a husband and a wife by the name of Adam and Eve. As I was studying for this message and meditating on our text for today, I couldn't help but wonder about my family's spiritual family tree. Have you ever thought much about that and where it, its roots come from? Has anybody ever really spent time and, and dug into uh, finding the spiritual family tree that you belong to? It would be fun to attempt to recover, right, the secrets of that spiritual family tree. Valerie and mine would start in 1998 with our neighbors who shared the gospel and called us to follow Christ with them. Then, of course, being diligent, we would then have to ask who shared the gospel and called them to follow Christ. After finding out that, we would go to them and we would ask them who shared the gospel with them and 
And then we would go on and we would go on and we would go on, so on and so on. And if we could, we would weave our way through this massive spiritual family tree and all its complexities of how God's Spirit has worked through humanity and we would find which one of the apostles sitting in the upper room at Pentecost attached us to the seed of our salvation, Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be fun to know? In our tireless research of ancient documents and the time that it would take to do all that, we would without a doubt find our way to the Bible and to the histories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then we would find our way to the text where Jesus called to those early disciples and said this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Beloved, this is where it all starts. It all started right here. Every one of your spiritual family trees is a tide, is attached to the text that we read today. Jesus made the invitation to a disciple and he said, follow me and I'll, not just to follow me, but I will make you fishers of men, make you to be the type of people who catch other men. And can you imagine millions upon millions upon millions of people will join our book of life. You see, beloved, obedience to follow always results in bearing eternal fruit. And encouraging people to follow Christ will result in the future growth of our spiritual family tree. Speaking of following Christ, as a church, we have been following the life of Christ since we celebrate His birth on the Lord's Day, remember, December 25th, last year. We are in our fourth sub-series titled The Galilean Light, and after spending a couple of months studying the first year of Jesus' ministry in the book of John, we have begun to study His great Galilean ministry. I'm so excited about this. You'll remember that Jesus, after returning to Galilee, performed a long-distance miracle from Cana, but it happened in Capernaum, where a royal official's son was deathly ill, and he was healed. Remember, Jesus said, your son is well. The word of that miracle spread, and when Jesus showed up to his hometown of Nazareth, as we preached last week in Luke's gospel, he preached a message that was initially well-received. However, the people, rather than seeking the eternal life found by being poor in spirit, recognizing their sin and their, their need for eternal salvation, they desired Jesus to do miracles instead, like the one in Capernaum. And you'll remember that Jesus effectively rejected that request and rebuked them with a sermon from their past. And you'll remember that sermon enraged the people who attempted to murder their hometown hero, Jesus. Last week in Luke 4, we observed that Jesus had effectively uncovered a terminal illness in an unwilling patient. And as truth often does, it almost cost him his life. It almost cost him his life. Friends, where Luke was the only gospel writer to record the early events of Jesus' resurrection in Nazareth, all three synoptic gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record Jesus setting up his base of ministry in Capernaum. And so in some ways, we have been working our way to this major moment where Jesus moves from his hometown. Can you imagine? You go to your hometown, he knew they weren't going to receive him. If you'll remember back to John 
Uh, he had already gone down to Capernaum, and he took his mother and his brothers uh, along with them, uh, and he kind of scouted it out right before Passover, and, and uh, even as he is leaving, uh, remember Samaria, he, he makes mention in John that a prophet has no honor in his home town, and we certainly heard him repeat that last week in Luke chapter 4, a prophet has no honor, but nevertheless, it was a real thing. They pushed him, enraged, out of that synagogue, and if you ever get the chance to go to Israel, I so encourage you to do it. You can walk right down from the town in Nazareth to these cliffs, and no doubt, that is right where they pushed him up to the edge, and you can stand there and wonder, wow. The people who had seen him every day of their lives, who grew up with him, who had him work in their homes as a carpenter, even after the miracles, rejected him. And being unwelcome to the point of murder in his hometown, Jesus, Matthew 4.13 records, as Rex already read for us, Nazareth, he came or he left Nazareth, excuse me, and came to and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea. Beloved, today we'll see the taproots of a massive family tree beginning to take shape with four men who are invited by Jesus to take part in an eternal harvest of people. Effectively, Matthew 4, 18 through 22, where we'll focus on now, teaches that following Christ will produce eternal results. And beloved, you are the proof. You are the proof. Here we sit 2,000 years later. We'll see that Jesus clearly desires to have disciples who will help him in the ministry of ushering people into the eternal kingdom. You ever pause to think about that? Why it is that the creator of the universe called sinful, broken, hurting, confused, prideful human beings to take such a message to the world? What an amazing privilege that we have. So he calls these disciples to help him usher people into the eternal kingdom. And how does he do it? It says there, he takes a walk along the Sea of Galilee, no doubt looking for some of the men he has already come to know. Look there in verse 18. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. Now, you remember from our study in John that Jesus has already known these men for approximately a year. Remember that when Jesus came out of the wilderness temptation, John the Baptist, who had many disciples and was no doubt the most popular preacher in the world, pointed at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. In John chapter 1, verses 37 through 42, uh, is going to recognize for us that these men, especially Andrew and Peter and James and John here, have already met Jesus. Remember, it says this, the two disciples, after hearing John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw, the, saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him about a day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, 
Notice here how he's introduced Simon, Peter's brother. He found, his first, he found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah! Can you imagine the statement? And he brought him to Jesus. Brought him to Jesus. So it is, friends, we know that this moment by the sea where Jesus sees Andrew and Peter is not their first encounter with Christ. If you just hop into the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it just kind of feels almost like a miraculous thing. Jesus is hopping along the Sea of Galilee, he's got no plan, and he just maybe got his sandals off walking in the, in the water, and he sees a couple guys and says, hey, you dudes, come follow me. And immediately, they drop everything and follow him, right? Does that ever seem strange to you if you haven't uh, maybe understood the harmony of the Gospels. Uh, you've not understood that Jesus has spent much time with these men already. It's no accident that he's here at the Sea of Galilee, and it's no accident that he's looking for these men. In fact, these men had been with him a year earlier when he turned water into wine, cleansed the temple at Passover, and said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to die on a cross, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish in hell, but have eternal life in God's coming kingdom. They were there for that. And friends, we do not have to study too hard to find out that the other man with Andrew was the gospel writer John, the other son, the son of Zebedee, whose brother is James. Notice there in Matthew 4.21 in our text, going on from there, that's where Jesus had called Andrew and Peter by Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. He saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the gospel writer, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And in Mark's gospel, we find out that they have servants there. So so it's highly likely that James and John, uh, their family has a bigger fishing, uh, fishing business maybe than Andrew and Simon did, or maybe Andrew and Simon worked for them and they were just fishing a little further down uh, the beach. We don't really know. But we do know that it's not too far. Jesus comes across the other brothers and he's going to tell them the same thing. So we understand as we harmonize the Gospels, that this call to follow Christ is extended to Andrew and Peter and James and John, and it is not just out of the blue. Although I cannot be sure about James, the other three men have already spent much time with Jesus. Now, I want us to pause for a moment and consider how the text describes these men. James and John are mending their nets, and Andrew and Peter are casting theirs. And notice verse 18 states the obvious, for they were fishermen, right? We kind of get that. <laughs> you don't mend nets and cast them if you're not. But they were fishermen. And listen, these were not men who worked all week doing something else and then went to the lake with an umbrella drink <laughs> and a fishing pole <laughs> hoping to kill some time right? We, think, we tend to think of fishermen like that. However, if you move to a coast somewhere, right, you live near it, you'll know that fishermen, that is their life, it is their lifestyle, and it's all they do. And it is no easy lifestyle. If you have ever watched a, a, a Deadliest Catch, you will know that, that these men have got to put up with all kinds, men and women, all kinds of horrific 
storms at sea and difficult people, all in order to catch some fish and make a living. They're not just out there sitting under their umbrellas, hoping to kill some time. No, these men were commercial fishermen. And like most people in the world who work hard, their identity was wrapped up in their occupation. Fishing was not something that they did, right? It was, uh, as verse 18 says, who they were. It's who they were. The great preacher and commentary, Warren Wearsby, makes note that John 21.2 likely states or or at least uh, leads us to believe that seven of those 12 disciples were fishermen. And I think it's worth noting here that Jesus, no doubt, the greatest intellect who has ever walked the face of the planet, could have gone up to Jerusalem, right? We already know that at 12 years old, as we studied our way through Luke, that he's confounding everybody who's teaching up at the temple, right? He's blowing their minds. He could have gone right up there. He could have gone to the top schools, the school of Gamaliel and all these other rabbis, and he could have said, who are your top students? Who's memorized the first five books of the Bible by the time they were 10? Who knows all the extra laws? Who knows the laws? Who, who, who understands ancient Hebrew and, and, and now Koine Greek? Give me those students. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't choose those religious elites, did he? These men would be men who certainly understood what it meant to work hard. I couldn't help but think about how appreciative I've been for all of the hard work that Rex has done already. And the reality that as much as he's going to be uh, spending 40 hours working for us, he needs to, to support his family, uh, needs to continue to, to teach music lessons and work for the college and do other things, and he will be a very busy man. They're busy. These fishermen know how to work, and they know how to work hard. These men would have been used to fishing all night long because that's when you fished. You didn't fish in the middle of the day, just like competition fishermen. My brother's fishing in a competition right now up at Glendo, right? And, and you know this, when the sun is out and the water heats up, the fish go down deep. <laughs> you don't fish in the middle of the day. They would fish when the fish would move their way up onto the banks, and that was, that was in the evening or close to the banks. And so they would be out there all night long, After laboring to cast and haul in their nets, they would sort through their fish and get rid of the undesirable ones. They would drag up their anchors and they would move their boat and start all over again, casting nets and dropping anchors. And when the sun began to dawn, they would go to shore and sell their fish, listen here, before the markets opened, right? You don't show up after the markets open. Before the markets open for the day, they're there selling those fish that they have no doubt put in baskets and drug on their backs and got them to the marketplace. They had to be good with people and able to bargain for a fair price. And if you go anywhere else in the world other than America, you're gonna, you better learn to bargain, right? They had to be good with people. And quite often, they would receive just enough to feed their own families. And they did this all day, day in, day out, six days a week. 
If they had a good night of fishing and received a good price for their fish, they might have enough to purchase the material that they needed to mend their nets or maybe buy a new net. And where you and I might be uh, head home after a a really long night, groggy-eyed and exhausted after uh, rowing boats, casting nets, pulling anchors, and haggling for business all before the sun comes up, they headed back to the shores to take care of those nets, to fix them up. But when they showed back up that evening, they were ready to fish. Now that sounds like some work, right? And Jesus didn't go to the intellectual elites. He didn't head to the seminaries and ask for those who had memorized the text. He went to men who were willing to follow him, who had already shown their willingness to follow him. He understood their limitations, and he said, now it's time for you to continue to grow, to continue to grow. And as much as These men were hard workers. They were not superheroes. And that should give you and me great hope. They were normal people like us. And their weaknesses show up all throughout the Gospels. Think about it for just a second. These men that we're talking about right here. Andrew, he is always referred to as Peter's brother in the text. Just think about that for a second. This guy's going to go out and he's going to plant seeds and he's going to fish for people. And and maybe you are somebody who's attached to, to Andrew's evangelistic work. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're tied to Peter. Who knows? I don't know how it works out, but this is what we know about Andrew. He is always referred to as Peter's brother. And I don't know if you're a younger brother or not. I certainly am a younger brother of a, of a, of a, of a man who is very much a leader and it's very easy to fall into his shadow. And I remember as a, as a kid and even as a young man, that's Carl, <laughs> you know, Justin's little brother. Andrew, in the shadow of Peter, he's going to change the world. Amen? Speaking of Peter, Peter spends most of the New Testament trying to take the proverbial shoe out of his mouth. Peter will go on to be audibly rebuked by God the Father for wanting to set up three booths on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter is rebuked by Jesus, even uh, called Satan himself. And it is Peter who would abandon Christ and go on to deny that he even knew Jesus, uh, Jesus during Jesus' most vulnerable moments while he was on trial for his life. This is the one Jesus absolutely knows this is coming, and he says, I'll invest in you. I'll call you. You don't have to have it all figured out. You can live the shadow of your brother. You can put your foot in your mouth all day long. These are the men that Jesus is choosing. Now, what about James and John? Talk about a couple of men who were dull and didn't pick up what Jesus was putting down. They were just like you and me. Right up to the end of Jesus' life, they are arguing, listen to this, about which one of them will be ranked higher in Jesus' coming kingdom. They're arguing about it. And the others, the other ten are mad at them for even bringing it up. Who are these guys? They've been three and a half or three years with Jesus and, and, and they haven't got it figured out yet? It's not about you. <laughs> they pulled their mother into that. Remember? She came to Jesus. Hey, uh, Jesus, 
would you make sure that one of my sons sits at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom? They were all about them. You'll remember James and John, won't you? Uh, That they were those who um, uh, wanted to call down fire from heaven on the people that they didn't like. Aren't you glad that God didn't answer that question and, or that, that desire? This is James and John. Angry, bombastic, all about themselves. This is Peter. All he can think about is, how can I not shut my mouth? And here's Andrew. He's just kind of in the shadow of his brother. Why have I spent time to review these men? Well, because Jesus is getting ready to call them into a deeper relationship with him. He's getting ready to call them into a deeper relationship with him. They have already believed in Christ. They have already shown their faithfulness to Christ. They have already been following Christ. They are already believers, albeit it is in the the Old Testament era, right? But they are saved. They are believers, They are being discipled. They are doing life. They have gone back to fishing. They are paying their bills. They're just like you and I. And Jesus comes walking along because it's time to take the next step of their discipleship. That's why I want to share it with you. Because Jesus does this for all of us. He is forever calling flawed people, flawed people like you and I to to walk with him at progressively deeper levels, is he not? Beloved, you cannot spend time in the Word of God genuinely and read it with a heart of desire and obedience and not feel like, oh, Lord, help me. I can't do this on my own. I can't forgive people who hate me well. I don't preach the gospel to too many people. Oh, Lord, help me along, right? And no doubt those yearnings are Uh, these men are feeling as they are out, they are fishing in their nets. And and I don't know if Jesus has has called them already to do this and they denied and that's why they went back or if they just had to pay bills. We don't know. (laughs) What we do know is they're fishing because that's how they make money. That's how they take care of their families. And Jesus is going to call them to this progressively deeper level. So, So it is, beloved, Jesus desiring to invest in those who had become uh, roots in the spiritual family tree, did not choose to call the intellectual elites of his day. Rather, he called men who understood what it meant to work hard, to be diligent, flawed men who understood how to communicate and negotiate with people. And look there, verse 21 says that he called them, and verse 19 explains what that call is. It says, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers. Of men. Notice, beloved, that Jesus said, I will. That is future tense. They're not there yet. How many of you might say, I'm not quite there yet in my, uh, in my ability to evangelize and reach out to people? I can certainly say that. I found myself pushing hard this week to make sure to get to the evangelism class because I'm just thinking, my life has changed so much as a pastor. I used to spend my days much like you guys with the same people in and out of work and 
And I had this opportunity to, to walk with them day in and day out and be a witness and those kinds of things. Now it's I'm standing in a grocery store line or paying a bill at dinner and I just don't interact with people as much. And, and I want to learn how do I better, quicker, more efficiently be a fisher of man. And I'm learning. And I'm responding to this call. I will, future tense, make you a fisher of men. Notice, beloved, that that future tense is, is no doubt full of all kinds of compassion for where these men are. They're not able yet to do the work of evangelistic ministry, but after Jesus trained them, they would be given the tools to catch men and women to be added to the spiritual book of life. Think of that. Think of that. Beloved, every year we try to hold at least one class in evangelism training. Our goal, like this very text, is to invite all of us to follow Christ and let Him teach us through His Word how we can fish for men. I love this morning, we watched a little video, and just so profound, right? It shouldn't be this profound, but it was. <laughs> and uh, one of the men teaching in the video said, this morning, you, 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 you kind of need a place to go fish. You shouldn't just be praying about, I hope that fish come and jump in my boat, right? <laughs> there needs to be some purpose in going to a lake to fish. And just that simple statement, like, oh, I need to make time in my life. I need to think about the places I'm going to go and be ready to cast that net in those spots. Simple things. We started this morning with a six-part evangelism training at 9 a.m. here at the church. We'll follow up with five more training sessions continuing this Wednesday evening. Please come. And going on for two more weeks, each Sunday morning and Wednesday evening. If you missed this morning, don't worry. Just catch as much as you can. Why? Because like these disciples, as we are maturing in our faith, we need to follow Christ and learn how to catch men and women for his coming kingdom. Amen? We need to learn. Just come. Grab as much as you can. Maybe you have to eat a cheeseburger and you get 10 minutes and then you got to leave. Whatever it takes. In my preparation for preaching this morning, I listened to one of my old pastors, Pastor Stephen Davey, preached through Mark 1 a number of years ago. And I was listening to this section out of Mark 1 and and he had mentioned a story about the great evangelist and pastor D.L. Moody. Some of you are familiar with him. He's starting now to pass uh, a little bit into more of our distant past. But uh, D.L. Uh, Moody reached thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. They started Moody Church and in Chicago. Maybe you've heard of it. There's now Moody Press. And there's, it's been a great, uh, historically has been a great conservative school, although it's waning a little bit now. Um, but nevertheless... Uh, Pastor Moody was having a guest speaker come in to speak, and, and he had gone and picked him up from the airport, and, and they came back to the facility, which now was this majestic facility teeming with life and lights and all the things that go on as the church grows, and, and uh, uh, they paused and turned around uh, from the front of the facility and kind of looked out and, uh, upon Chicago and all the people and and the man who was the guest speaker came and, and he said something to D.L. Moody, something, something like, wow, what a great ministry you have here. And I love D.L. Moody's response. He turned around and he looked out at all the hundreds and hundreds of people passing by. 
and said, I can't help but think of how many of them are going to perish. Beloved, we've got to learn to love people. We've got to, to, to hear this call of Jesus in this text. Yes, you're a disciple. Yes, you're growing. Come on. I'll make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. Well, notice in verse 20 how these growing disciples responded to Jesus' invitation to make them fishers of men. Verse 20 says, immediately. <laughs> immediately, right? They left their nets and followed him. Beloved, we know that uh, we don't know what the circumstances were that caused, as I mentioned before, these four men to leave Jesus aside sometime in the first year of his ministry. Quite simply, the text just doesn't tell us. But what we do know, as we have harmonized the Gospels, is that these men have seen Jesus do miracles. They have seen him cleanse the temple and offer salvation to the world. They no doubt have slept on the ground with him, enjoyed meals with him, and some of them had likely baptized in his name. They were believers, even followers, and certainly disciples at the beginning stages. But like us, Jesus was not content to leave them in their current state. He was one step at a time walking along with them, just like he does with us that they would one day be used to catch a few who would catch a few more, who would catch a few more and more and more and more until the good news of salvation reached your ears. Attach yourself to this spiritual family tree. It was happening because of the obedience of some to follow Christ into the work of evangelism. Beloved, we will, like these maturing disciples, will we, excuse me, like these maturing disciples, respond to the call to be made fishers of men. No doubt our Lord and Savior is patient, but the invitation to join Him in catching men is wide open. It's wide open. I'll close with this story. In 1998, both Valerie and I began our family trees in our spiritual world. We were both saved in Gillette, Wyoming. It wasn't long after that that my father invited me to go on an African safari to hunt planes game in South Africa. I could not have been more excited. I had dreamed for years about going to Africa on a hunt, and this was my chance to go and do such a thing. The hunt went well, and it was all that I could have dreamed of. And when it was all over, we had uh, gone to Cape Town to the airport to begin our flight home. At the time, I was wearing a t-shirt that had today's text on it to become a fisher of men. And while we were waiting for our flight to leave, I began to uh, go into all the different gift shops and, and look for a gift for my wonderful very new wife, Valerie, at the time. And I'll never forget that one of the ladies behind the counter, after reading my shirt, mistook the meaning of being a fisher of men and assumed that I was a man attracted to other men. We giggle, but that is the world we live in. I had not been a Christian for very long, and I had recently... Uh, and I had certainly 
never been trained in how to share the gospel. My church at the time was not doing what we are doing right now and teaching people how to reach other people, how to fish for men. I had the t-shirt, but I didn't have the knowledge. No doubt a well-trained fisher of men would have recognized the tremendous opportunity to spiritually fish for that lady behind the counter, but I had not been honed and I had not honed the skill with Christ and I awkwardly just turned away. And I often wonder where her eternal destiny was. Not long after that, I was on a 13-hour plane ride home. I had a camera with multiple rolls of film. You remember those days? <laughs> Everybody who's a teenager is like, what? <laughs> What's film? <laughs> I had all my film on me and uh, I had, uh, they were all filled up with pictures of my trophies. I was so excited to show my wife who could care absolutely less about hunting or fishing. And all of the experiences and all of the scenery and the monkeys and all the animals. And I had it all ready to show off and tell my stories. But oddly, I could not shake the experience with that woman behind the counter who was headed for eternal punishment. And God was not done working on me. As he often does, right next to me on the plane was a middle-aged woman who noticed my shirt and asked me if I was a Christian. I was so excited to tell her that I was, and it wasn't long before I began to ask her what had brought her to South Africa. She went on to tell me that she was a missionary and that she had gone to South Africa not to catch trophies, but to catch men and women for the kingdom of heaven. And I was feeling deeply convicted about chasing earthly things rather than serving Christ like this faithful woman. I don't remember the details of our conversation, but I can tell you this. At the moment, I, I think I could identify with how these four men in our text felt today when they heard Jesus say, follow me. I can help you with that. Follow me. Like them, I had been saved, but I just went back to doing the same old things that I loved to do. And God, in His great grace, sat that lady next to me on the plane as a testimony of one who, like these four disciples today, put off everything and followed Christ. You see, beloved, this woman was spending her life increasing the size of the family tree, fishing for people, and I was spending my life on me. But let me ask you this. What has derailed you from following Christ and becoming a fisher of mankind? Is it fear? Are you chasing success? Young men, are you trying to find a girlfriend? Young ladies, are you trying to find a, a boyfriend? Are you too worried about being cool and somebody judging you at school or at the workplace? Maybe you're worried about losing your job being relevant. Maybe some old church hurt has just put you on pause. Some judgment of the past has so locked you up in your Christianity that you're happy to sit here and, and, and listen to a sermon, but you have no intention of catching men and women and changing 
the life and increasing the size of the salmon tree. Maybe the devil has just lulled you to sleep, and I pray that this message maybe will wake you up a little as people around us are dying and perishing in hell. Whatever it is, let us be like these four men and once again immediately leave everything behind and follow Christ in reaching the world. Amen? And one day, after our names have been found in the real book of life, we will be able to investigate the secrets of our spiritual family tree and understand which one of these early disciples shared with someone who shared with someone who shared with us. Can you imagine? What a privilege. Beloved, following Christ always produces eternal fruit. Let's pray.